0: Hello, I'm Alex Mansfield, the host of Manny Talks Shooting, and welcome to another episode. This is the shooting podcast where I talk to individuals all across the shooting industry. We'll talk competition, self-defense, concealed carry. If you like this content, check out our YouTube channel, Manny Talk Shooting. And without further ado, let's get to this episode. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to another installment of the Manny Talk Shooting Podcast. The shooting podcast for the shooter, by the shooter, because of the internet, because that's how we record things nowadays, it seems like, at least. But anyway, we have to talk about the title sponsor of the podcast, Go Fast, Don't Suck. They're supporting matches all over the country. They uh, they have awesome dry fire decals to put around your, your house that your wife and um, a significant other probably won't bitch about, because they do not hurt the paint. Uh, he has awesome hats that I wear to cover my receding hairline. I like this hat, but it's mostly for the, the, the latter point. But anyway... Um, Banners, if you need them, if you're a match organizer, or you just want a cool banner behind you in your dry fire dojo. You never know. You always could use one. But anyway, go check out those hurtful memes on Instagram because they're somewhat true. But that's for me. Anyway, go check them out. GoFastDon'tSuck.net. Tell them Manny sent you. Move on with your day. Without further ado, we're with the man of the hour, um, Mr. Scott Beebe, the match director of the World Pistol Shootout. Scott, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great. Manny, how are you? Doing fantastic. And thank you for sitting down with me. I think we'll have an awesome, fun conversation. Cool, I'm looking forward to it. I am too, and I've actually been looking forward to this since we first talked on the phone a couple of weeks ago. But of course, family life and spring break gets gets in the way of everything. <laughs> it does,
1: I it's been a whirlwind for me. Uh, we were out the World Pistol Shootout for 10 days, came home for about three and a half and then drove down to Orlando with the family and friends for spring break. And uh, whirlwind of a time, I, I can't say it was a vacation because we didn't stop moving basically. Uh, Except for a couple of afternoons by the pool and uh, with uh, many a cocktail at that point in time. Uh, But the drive home, oh, my goodness, it was during some of those windy storms we had here on the East Coast. And we actually had over four hours of delays on our drive home. So it was an incredibly
0: long day. No, thank you. I would not like those delays. Yeah,
1: And then we got got back and we jumped right into it at Dynamic Shooting Sports. We had our first uh, week of the season. Uh, out there with three matches, and as I mentioned to you, the preliminary, uh, it was a fantastic week for us. Uh, we had an event that was on waitlist, uh, two events that were waitlisted for different periods of time, and we're starting to see numbers back to pre-COVID
0: uh, at our events, which has
1: been an absolute blessing, absolute blessing.
0: Yes, it is, and it's, it's kind of nice to see that in some areas where, you know, attendance has been down and it's coming back. So it's good to see people are out there shooting and enjoying their uh, second amendment rights, uh, in the shooting sports. The, the big thing
1: too, we're seeing Manny, uh, uh, is we're seeing a lot of interest in new shooters.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
1: I probably had 14 or 15 people reach out to me last week alone. And which is, I steadily usually get two or three people a week. Uh, but it's really been at times, uh, it's really jumped up. We've done some intro classes in the past and, uh, but we haven't done them in the last couple of years because we have not, we've been seeing a decline in attendance. So we are looking at it, putting some of those events back on the calendar this year. And, and they're just, they're just events that for people to come in, we put a stage up for the different shooting sports that we have 10 buck costs. And that's really just to kind of have them to have some skin in the game so that they show up. But we'll typically in the past, when we were doing these, we'd see 20, 25 to 30 new shooters come out to those events and we'd probably capture about eight or nine of them that become regular attendees for the, over the year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. looking forward to that too.
0: Yeah. That's really nice to see new shooters. I myself, I did get a couple of emails a couple of weeks ago from new shooters. Hey, cause they saw me posted on either social media or, you know, through USPSA or whatever app, you know, application I was using at the time, but uh, it definitely is nice to get those emails from new shooters. Like, what should I expect? How many rounds should I bring? Um, kind of, you know, and it feels like you can go down those rabbit holes of emails, right?
1: Yeah, I, that's been one of the, one of two things that I regret that I have not done for the business. And, and I've actually, I bought equipment last year and still haven't really even taken some of it out of the box uh, to go out to the range and do some reporting. And so that you're not having to type or cut and paste all that stuff, but literally put together a resource on our website so that people can go to it and have an FAQ page that really actually matters, uh, especially for newer shooters or people that are new to the area. Um, you know, I, I think that would be a great benefit. I think it would be a good time sink for myself. Like it would not be a way, you know, would not be wasted at all. Um, and I think it, because my wife, uh, bless her heart, you know, the, the only thing I think I, it annoys her is the endless hours sometimes that I'm on the phone talking to somebody in the evening you know yes, and that's, uh, and that's, uh, yeah. that's that's my hour that's when i work on you know it's, i either work at the range or i work on the phone at, at, at home and and unfortunately uh i look at it like a customer service rep you know you you're out here you know selling a product and you need to take care of the customer so if they want to call and talk you call and talk
0: no oh, absolutely like myself like i do my, my wife is very upset with me most times because it's like who are you on the phone with now i'm like I'll tell you when I'm done. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. worst part is everyone gets excited and you're on the phone. forever. Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. She knows it. And that, I mean, she's, she's a wonderful woman. My wife um, is, she is my proudest accomplishment if, if uh, without being too de- demeaning in, in that, that. But, but she usually never says a word of my shooting. She didn't give me grief yesterday on Easter when we had a USPSA match. Uh, she gets it. The only time it bothers her is I think later in the evening. I think at that point she's just powering down and would like me to power down with her.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, I can totally understand that. That's why I try to be somewhat respectful to her and give her enough notice on most of these. Sometimes it's like, oh, this is happening like tomorrow. It came up today. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> well, you're very accommodating. I I was really kind of impressed with the uh, the process that you have for doing this because this is all new for me. I'm I'm not a big social media uh, person. Uh, You'll see from even our Facebook page, it's more of just match announcements and videos of matches. And in fact, I was just editing one here before we got on uh, for a rifle match. And i will get that posted this week. But I don't do a lot with Facebook. Just really started doing, I actually had a couple people uh, three, four years ago that did some Instagram stuff for us. But it wasn't until the World Pistol Shootout that I got back on Instagram, to be honest with you. Uh, so this, you know, kind of, I've been looking forward to it just to kind of get my feet wet a little bit more.
0: Well, this is a great way to get your feet wet. <laughs> so segueing that in, people really need to know who you are, Scott. So who is Scott BB, and how did you get into shooting?
1: Okay. Um, so I own a range called Dynamic Shooting Sports, LLC. We're located in Deerfield, uh, Ohio, which is north of Alliance. So people, uh, a lot of... No- People know that area, but it's in kind of in the triangle of Akron, Cleveland, and Youngstown. Uh, We're about uh, 45 minutes from the western PA border. Uh, Dynamic shooting sports focuses mostly on handgun sports. We do do some multi-gun and and such, but our longest bay is 80 yards. uh, So handgun sports work the, the best for us. Our range is actually focused in on the competitive shooter. We're not your typical, you know, range that you see, Mom and Paul. We don't offer shotgun, skeet, trap, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, so we have our pass holders out there. They enjoy the practical shooting sports. Right now, uh, four of the five uh, shooting areas that we had set up yesterday still have the wall and fault lines sitting there. So our pass holders will come out and throw stuff out. So. My focus has been on building that business over the last five years. Uh, I currently am also the Ohio North USPSA section coordinator. So uh, I work with some of the other clubs in our area. I've actually worked with another club, Cougar uh, Creek Conservation Club up north of Ohio, to run the Battle of the North Coast for the North Coast. Uh, we're going to be coming up on our sixth year of running that match, which is our she- section championship. So, um, a lot of my focus is on stage design and that is because of where I got started and when I moved to Ohio. So I started shooting competitively a, bit, a little over nine years, almost 10 years ago, uh, when I lived in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, so I had the opportunity to, uh, get started at Rio Salado Sportsman's Club. And if anybody doesn't know who Rio Salado is, you should look them up. They're arguably probably one of the top three clubs uh, in the country. Uh, One of the statistics that I like to throw out to kind of put in perspective where the state of Ohio was when I moved back here eight years ago, there were 27 Grandmasters in USPSA at Rio Salado that I could name. There was probably more than that. There was only three in the state of Ohio. I think when I came here, so that were actively participating. So if people don't know who Rio Salado are, uh, it's a home club for Nils Johnson, Rob Lethan, Carrie Pearson. Um, I and the funny thing about when I got when I started, I was actually working for as a operations manager for a restaurant development group in Scottsdale and Phoenix. And I used to drive US-60 out to Mesa, and there was a gun range that was there. Uh, I had come back uh, over the winter to meet my sister's fiance, who is a sheriff's deputy here in Ohio, and he had taken me target shooting. Uh, And this was right around the time of Sandy Hook. So, you know, I was kind of feeling the urge, hey, just like we've seen with a lot of other things that have happened in the last eight, 10 years, but sometimes when there's some drama in the news, people feel the need to go out and get a handgun. I had a conversation with my wife and I said, I think this is something I want to do. Uh, and she agreed with it. So I did. I was There was a, a gun club that was right off the US-60 that I would drive past every single day, uh, Caswell's Indoor Shooting Range. Uh, they're very well known in the Phoenix and Mesa area. Uh, they, they've got a whole string of uh, of uh, stores now called C2 Tactical, I believe. But I used to go in there in my in my chef clothes at 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon before the rush would hit. And I would take the guys in their food so I wouldn't pay for range fees. And that's where I got started. Um, they talked me into shooting a little Monday night indoor match they had that was Kind of similar to IDPA in some ways, but it was an outlaw match. Uh, I met a couple of guys there, and after a few matches, I think they were kind of waiting to see if I was going to be a safe shooter or not. uh, They invited me out to Rio Salado to attend Tuesday Night Steel. Um, uh, Bobby and Chris were their names.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So I went out, uh, and the first Tuesday night I was there, there was this guy that was a friend of theirs that shot with us. And everybody walking around was just worshiping this this guy. And I thought he was a bit of a clown. And but I was like, I had no idea who this guy was. And uh turns out this gentleman knew Chris and Bobby because they were really big into doing RC helicopters. And this guy, that was his one of his hobbies. I didn't realize it at the time. He was a professional shooter that was until that evening I went home and Googled them and found out it was Rob Lethem. So that was, that was my first outdoor match. Probably my fourth match ever I shot was Tuesday night steel at Rio Salado with Rob Lethem. Uh, that particular match, if you're not familiar with it, they get about 200 guns on a Tuesday night. They come through there, especially during the winter when the snowbirds are in, but, uh, what was really fun for me over the course of the next eight months, typically when Rob was in town, a lot of times he would shoot with Chris and Bobby. And I just went and I met Nils at that time. That was when he first was started dating his wife, Jessica, uh, when I was out there. Uh, so, I, and he was friends with other people that I became friends with. So it was a great education because Rob, especially when he would come out to the range, if you just closed your mouth and opened your ears, he would give one person a little tidbit of advice here. And then he'd give another person a little bit of advice that was different over there. And over the course of eight months, there was just so much information and knowledge uh, Mm -hmm. that was shared. Um, Jim Adami, who's their uh, coordinator for all their practical shooting now, uh you got to know him very well. He was friends with Chris and Bobby as, uh, so I got introduced with him. Uh Muneki, um uh, Japanese American shooter that uh, uh is dual citizenship, I think now, but he's he was very big at that time. Uh he was also one of the stage designer and matched, you know, helped run matches out there. Uh all the guys that actually ran matches, I at one point or time I had a chance to dig in and help out. So it was a great education uh out there. Uh the gentleman who was the section coordinator for arizona at that point uh it was very encouraging and pushed me to get my ro certification so i was actually packing my house to move back to ohio the same weekend i was going to the ro class there uh, and they were it, it was a fanta- fantastic experience uh, but when i came back to ohio the way uspsa was presented at the time was very different a lot of the clubs were much smaller a lot of the clubs have expanded since then Uh, i actually went to uh, a range in alliance ohio they had two bays and to say one of them was a bay is a bit of a stretch Uh, but they after two matches at the end of the second match The gentleman who was the match director, Don Mayer, asked if I would like to take a look at a new piece of property that they were going to be moving the club to the next year and wanted to get some input from me. Uh, I had, when I came onto the scene here, I did extremely well um, for the most part competitively, even though I'd only been at it a short short period of time. Things here in Ohio, um, I don't want to I don't want to talk down about it, but it, they were not to the same level or degree as what I was seeing out at, at Rio Salado. Like I really didn't have any idea how good I had it out there until I came to Ohio. Like it, it was night and day difference. So Don and, uh, generally by the name of Dave Stethkamp, uh, who's passed away, uh, God rest his soul, uh, my predecessor actually as section coordinator, they invited me over. Uh, to this range. This range only had one bay at the time, but they were building, going to build it out, so they were going to have four or five available the next spring, which they did accomplish. Uh, So uh, for about three years, I helped run matches there, uh, transitioned from Dave's role into my role as section coordinator, and then um, there became an opportunity after about three years, the gentleman who had been running the range uh, had a falling out with the landlord, and uh, I asked the guy that was operating the range if it was if he would mind me talking to the landlord. He said no. He was going to be moving to New Mexico and everything too. So I sat down with the landlord uh, a few times, and uh, we worked out a great deal. I I'm almost embarrassed to say how cheap I have it to for my lease out there, uh, but he's been phenomenal. Uh, he actually I handed the property over to his son. Um, his son has been great with me. So, uh, but look, this is the start of our sixth season where we've been now dynamic shooting sports and we've been running matches out there. The thing that we did though, differently eight years ago was Don and Dave came to me and said, you know, there's something that you have from your experience in Arizona And Dave Snethcamp, especially, and and then Don was supportive of it, said, You need to put, you need to bring that here. Like, we need to raise the bar here. So, we just took on the mentality that we weren't going to do local level, um, we were going to do a local level match. So, yes, it's a local, (laughs) but the stages that we put out, we put out level two, level three stages. So, as a result, we have a lot of people that are very competitive within the sport. Um, there a lot of people that travel to a lot of majors. So when our matches are on major weekends in the in the region, our attendance takes a p- pretty big nosedive. But we get the we get those shooters that want to come out, want to have a challenge, uh, want to be competitive, uh, have, um, and you know they've made the place theirs. Uh, I would say we uh, we keep our. I'll, We keep our numbers down as far as how many pass holders we have we have about 150 pass holders and i would say over 100 of them are competitive shooters Uh, so our focus has been really that way as such we have some people that you know prefer not to come to our range just because of the level of difficulty or the mental side of it i'm very big on the mental focus uh, you need to have when you're shooting. it's it, We don't put out uh, you know a bunch of burner stages where it's three or four positions and three or four targets at each of those positions, and you just hose them all down. Uh, you'll see that I like to put a lot of options in, a, in the stages that we put out. Uh, I like to put you right in the middle of the action so that you've got multiple directions that you can go to from the start so that it's not everybody shooting it necessarily the same way. Um, I do, I will typically have a stage that everybody is going to run it pretty much for the same, just because I think there's also a nice barometer to that, uh, when everybody shoots it the same way. And I'm kind of glad, uh, to see the classifiers that have become the, the newer classifiers have had a lot more movement in them. Uh, and I think that's been a, a benefit for us, uh but that's kind of where I got started who my influence uh, Rob Latham and uh, Nils were probably two of my biggest influences. When I first was started, uh, I had a friend of mine, Caleb Higby, who is friends with Nils, uh, and growing up, uh, they did a lot of shooting to get together. Caleb did a lot to, to help me out as well. Uh, Caleb, if you look his name up, he's usually in the top two or three, uh, revolver shooters at nationals. Uh, great, great man. Uh, owner of speedy bees. I don't know if you've seen that name in the, uh, mm-hmm. uh he's the, he's the owner of that. So, uh, another great individual, uh, you know, we've got some good people here in Ohio now, um, uh, that, uh, really doing a lot of positive things. Uh, the sport has grown huge, uh, since, uh, our range, you know, came on, we've had, well, I think three new ranges, uh, Steel challenge has picked up huge in our area. And, I, and I'll tell you that I honestly was one of the people that kind of stayed away from it. But now I've got a 12 year old boy who loves it. So it's hard to say no to it. Uh, and so our program that we started last year is flourishing. In fact, we ran only one match in March and was mostly because of the travel and the World Pistol Shootout. Uh, but it was a steel challenge match and we were waitlisted for that. We literally didn't have any more space we had everybody show up which was great uh so that uh multi-gun uh i do focus it. i used to focus more on multi-gun for myself uh we used to have a few ranges in northeast ohio that would hold hold multi-gun matches but right now i am the only one i'm actually the the last match director for the ohio state championship for multi-gun there's not been one in the uh, since COVID has hit. I, and the one range that I use, because my range is not big enough, uh, hasn't done multi-gun for over two years. So um, that's kind of the lay of the land and some of the things that I've been involved in as far as uh, shooting sports. So again, most of my stuff has been handgun. I did, because of how much I enjoyed the Tuesday Night Steel, uh, we have a Wednesday night event that is almost a carbon copy of that which we call dynamic steel and i like to tell people it's somewhere in between steel challenge and uspsa a lot of similar stages that you would see out at out at rio salado some stuff that's my own uh the other thing that we do is because i try to build a lot of efficiency into stage um, usage Uh, you will actually see that i will put stages up sometimes or at least a stage if we're going to have weekend events um, and then we'll put out steel and shoot it like it's a USPSA match. So this week, Bay three, we, I set it up Wednesday morning and then I put out uh, 12 or 13 pieces of 12 inch round steel all at a safe distance and basically tell guys, you know, hey, um, the at the start signal, two hits on each, you figure it out. All the rest of the stuff that we do for dynamic shooting is a little more box-to-box type stuff. We tell you you have to do different things at different places, which is good because it works on the mental game. But we try to do some USPSA type stuff because the Wednesday night match is what we call our starter match for anybody. It's the uh, it's the uh, uh, it's the freebie that we try to get people into.
0: Right. Well, and honestly, everyone likes to hear that ding of steel. Right? It's super gratifying. That's why steel. Everyone like these new shooters are loving steel challenge as well. Is oh, they get they shoot it, they hear the ding. It's like oh, I hit it. Yeah. It's not like paper where did I hit it?
1: Yes. Yes. And we the other thing that's nice is it's an outlaw match for us. Mm-hmm. So you know, I get the guy that comes in and has the leg strap on. I don't have to say take the leg strap off. You know, he's rocking his six um, three twenty that has the small magwell on it no, I don't have to bump you to open, just shoot carry optics. It's the first time he's at a match. He's not going to win anything. He's not, you know, not going to place, you know, that high. We just want him to get there, be safe, figure out if he's going to have fun or not. He or she is going to have fun or not and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so it's,
0: It gives me a lot more
1: leniency, you know, that way.
0: Yeah. And it's really all about having fun. If we, we don't do this to to give headaches or heartaches, it's always for the fun of the sport.
1: Well, you know, and that's that's one of the balancing things that I've had to figure out over the last five years because we did take an approach early on of catering to the people that want to be more competitive, okay? Mm -hmm. The problem that you run into is not everybody can win. And so when you get all these alpha shooters that are there, Mm -hmm. not everybody's going to win. So instead of asking... I used to ask, "Hey, how you doing today? You know, what was your time?" And I still find myself doing that, especially with my own friends. You know, the guys that I would go—if I go to another range, the guys that I go shoot with—I'll ask the, the, them those questions. But most of the time, I'm trying to take more of the approach: "Hey, did you have fun today? You know, are you having fun? What was your favorite stage? You know, trying to focus in on that." Um, I did at one point used to really worry about balancing uh, uh, squads out. Like, let's make sure we have the same number of people in each squad. Um, You know, let's take some of the more experienced people and make sure we spread them out over all the squads. But what I found was, you know, I got a group of eight or 10 guys that they come out to the match and they're there because they want to hang out and shoot with each other. They may be some of my best shooters, my best ROs. If I start moving them around, it takes away from the fun from them. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to... Try to do some things differently, you know, with that, not be as worried, you know, are we getting done with our squad and 45 minutes or, you know, and not focus in on those little dynamics necessarily. And, you know, try to worry about the fun a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we've done to counteract that too is it, it, it builds into my mission statement, which is to grow the practical shooting sports in my region is that anybody that is a pass holder at my range or a regular competitor at our matches, if they sign up for a range officer class, we will pay their range officer fees. And Dan Click, if you're watching this, I know I owe you $75 for Christine for last weekend. I'll get you the money. So uh, Dan is a newly minted range master uh he is uh the match director too at cardinal shooting center where they're hosting uh carry optics nationals and low-cap nationals this year so
2: funny
0: Brandon, of, what's that funny you speak of him because he's my range master for the the major match i'm hosting uh this weekend
1: oh good uh we will have to talk off air just for a few things so that you know what you're getting yourself into
0: yep exactly uh,
1: dan's a great guy don't get me wrong uh but we've got some fun stories uh uh, you know, from him, uh, but his his place is doing great. We had tried to get into that uh, particular facility for years. Uh, his counterpart, uh, Don Bates, who runs the uh, Steel Challenge uh, matches there, including the state match that we have, the Ohio Classic. He got he got the foot in the door with Steel Challenge and was able to then get USPSA in and Dan has just been off and running with it. So uh we're hoping that we can get uh the world speed shooting championships there in the next year or two. So
0: that'll be nice, especially because living up here in the Midwest, it's such closer to go to Ohio than it is to Alabama.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is not Alabama's got a great facility and everything. So um you know I, I nothing against them but you know to have something in your backyard uh they they've already they've already got a section the the Cardinal of ten Bays, uh and they're building another they built another eight or ten bays so that we could do nationals and those have been completed. We're actually going to be using them next month for the state match that we have, Buckeye blast. Uh, so we'll have they they have the facilities there and uh, so we're looking forward looking forward to that. but. You'll have fun with Dan. Dan's a good guy. Um, yeah,
0: and I will also be at the Buckeye Blast. I uh, I'm working that match. So,
1: oh, good for you. Well, I'm in charge. I'm not in charge. I Dan's in charge. I gotta remember Dan's in charge for that match. But uh, I told him I would go down and uh, do setup for him and during the week. And that's been one of my things. Is I yeah I'm an RO. Uh, i I'm taking. I'm gonna go do my CRO stuff. But my focus, I've kind of, instead of working the match that way, I've, stage design is kind of my thing. That okay. uh, kind of, it is my thing. So I typically will offer up a lot of stage designs. I didn't for Buckeye Blast, but then I usually put my efforts into spending three or four days doing setup work. So uh, Sarge Sanders, who had been running the the Buckeye Blast for the last four or five years, when it was down at Briar Rabbit, uh, that had kind of been my deal with him. It's just like, listen, I will come down here, work three or four days, I will travel back and forth. You don't even have to put me in a hotel. Um, and I will do setup, but I'm just not gonna shoot I'm not gonna work the weekend. That's when I work. Everybody else can come work. I'll work and I'll work the staff match too. That's a big thing. You know, you have a staff match, who's who's working that? You know, so. That was something that one of the dynamics that we kind of figured out here in Ohio. I'm sure other places have figured that out sooner than us, but uh, I did. I'd have a, a couple of guys that would uh, do that with uh, with me, and then I would uh, I'd just shoot one day on the weekend. And a lot of times for me, because I have other disciplines that we have at the range, just because I'm not having a USPSA match because the USPSA, regional match is going on, I still may have a multi-gun match I need to do or now Steel Challenge and I can't just put those people on a bench um, you know, that that's not fair to them is the way I kind of look at it so.
0: Right, and and if it seems like for the most part there's more Steel Challenge guys who will shoot USPSA than vice versa it seems like at least here locally but yeah, the Steel Challenge guys usually do get the short end of the stick usually because if a major match is going on something gets cancelled for them Yes, unfortunately. Yes,
1: we're finding right now that we're getting a pretty even split. Um, I have had quite a few people from the folks that came out to our steel challenge matches. Actually, we picked up some new pass holders. Um, We've picking up new shooters in USPSA and uh, even rifle matches. I one of the the guys that usually would come every match last year and shoot four guns at first steel challenge. He picked. He joined. He shot the, the both matches for us this weekend, the rifle match and the USPSA match. And I believe they were first for him. He never shot either one of those disciplines until now. So like you say, you do get a lot of people. I think, I think it's more of a progression too, Manny mm-hmm. that you, you know, it's an easier match to get into uh, steel challenge and, you know, and then you kind of progress.
0: Yeah, you absolutely do. So, and,
1: and, while I have that have that second, uh, we've had, because we do all these different disciplines, uh, for anybody that's a newer shooter or getting tuned into this to try to see what the practical shooting sports are about, uh, don't try to jump into multi-gun. <laughs> I track all kinds of data. Everybody that knows me knows I've got all kinds of crazy spreadsheets. So we track match attendance. And when I was actually looking at personal match attendance at one point the first couple of years when we tracked shooters that would go to multi-gun matches as their first ever practical shooting match the retention rate was between 15 and 20 percent so that's one out of five or six shooters that go to a multi-gun match as their first competitive match to participate in actually return to shoot another match mm. so you know we're really big on you know go to steel challenge come to our wednesday night uh D- uh dynamic steel matches if you can't do that go to a uspsa match then go to a rifle match after you've done those a few times go to a multi-gun match and shoot two gun if you decide you want to get put your big boy pants on and bring the shotgun out then go and do, you know, three gun, but make it a progression. And for the people that have made it a progression, they've been, they've enjoyed it more and they've been more successful. And we see the much better retention rate on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I can agree. Yeah. That's that. Starting a multi-gun would be a very big choice. You got you always feel discouraged because you don't have the right gear. You've got to go buy another shock because everyone usually brings a pump shotgun, I bet to their first match. And then they're like, I got to go buy a semi-auto and all this other whiz bangs. Oh yeah. And we,
1: and I, and I'm big, even with handgun sports, I'm like, don't go out and buy anything,
2: mm-hmm.
1: bring what you have. And so again, the idea on Wednesday nights that we can be a little looser with the the gear, you know, for the division requirements, cause it's outlaw. It, it, I really tell people, it's like, if you have a nine millimeter handgun, you have a holster for it and you have three or four magazines, you don't even have to have bag pouches cause we can stuff those bad boys in your pockets. Mm-hmm. that's all you need to get started don't go buy something you know uh, don't go to the, the you know your local gun store and snag yourself what you think is going to be the slickest holster because it's not going to work it'll 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 work but not well and you know we we try to explain to them it's like hey most of the stuff you're buying we use we buy online it, it's not going to be available you know you're not you don't see double alpha sitting on the shelf uh you know it's your local gun mm-hmm. store
0: no it's got to definitely be like a pro shop kind of scenario i do know of some gun ranges and this might be actually a big thing in arizona maybe maybe they actually have competition shooting equipment out there in some of these places
1: uh probably a little bit in the fact that you would see stuff like blade tech and um you know you'd see a lot of blade tech out there a gentleman who was a sales manager when i was shooting um and there's some long story about him selling demo stuff at a local, uh, and local matches that got him in trouble. But, uh, you'd see a lot of blade tech stuff I know in the, uh, in the stores. And that was something that original back, you know, nine years ago, they were probably one of the more, uh, you'd see a lot more of that equipment on the range than you do now.
2: <laughs> um,
1: you know, we would see Safari Land all over the place, but again, that was Rob Leatham at the time. You know, now it seems like Safari Land is backing away completely from, you know, the competition equipment. But uh, you
0: know,
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and, and there's probably a different different. Pla- there's so many good companies out there making products, though. For like for the accessory gear for products, it's like yep. the belts you can buy, the mag pouches. It, it's freaking. Bob's your uncle and Susie's your aunt or something. It seems like, cause you can find whatever you need on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I know we mentioned a long time ago, you mentioned you are the Northern um, Ohio section coordinator. Yeah. Um, how often do you coordinate with the Southern coordinator, uh, Brad? So
1: uh, not much to be honest with you. Uh the, the only thing that we really have is the Buckeye blast. And so The story goes, uh, my predecessor was part of splitting Ohio in half. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Because Ohio used to be all one section. Uh, There was, again, I don't want to talk politics because I don't even know all the story. But at some point, they decided to split it into Ohio North and Ohio South. Uh, Sarge Sanders, who you heard me mention, who was the match director for uh, the Buckeye Blast. He had been the Southern coordinator and he was holding, the match was held at a Northern Ohio club. So we did that for years. And part of that was when the two sections split, we created our own, everybody's supposed to, all the sections are supposed to have their own set of bylaws.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I don't know. I know I sent Brad a copy of ours, but last I knew, they didn't have a, a set of bylaws, so we have a set of bylaws, and it has it has rules and regulations on how we're going to run a section match, section championship. Uh, for the last five years, the only or six counting this year, the only club that has wanted to do a section championship has been Crooked Creek, where we've run the battle for the North Coast, and that has become our section uh, championship. The problem that we run into right now from more bylaw or legal kind of background, and legal is not the right word from it, but from bylaws standpoint, is there is no, there's nothing to say that how we govern having a state championship anymore. Like there's, there's nothing. So, Brad and I, I spoke earlier or last year about it, and what we've agreed to do is every two years we're gonna flop. Who has the rights to the uh, to the match? Okay. And so this year was the first of those two years. Uh, Cardinal uh, and Dan Click had asked to do it, so we said uh, I said yes. And we always, it's kind of a gentleman's agreement at this point. I've got an email that's to Brad that kind of lays this out. So we can now look point back to that as that's what the agreement is between the two sections. But uh, so Dan will have it as long as he does well. He gets it again for next year. And then after that, uh, it gets shifted down to uh, Brad and the Southern section. And they have first rights in it. Now, if somebody doesn't want to do it, then we'll see if somebody wants to do it from the North and we'll go again. So that's kind of what, that's my involvement with Brad, but I don't know Brad all that well, other than from him shooting at the Buckeye blast. Uh, he's been fun to be around. Uh, he's been nice to talk to. I think he's been very professional. Uh, he's going to be actually one of the range masters for the Buckeye blast this year. Cause we usually split those into zones. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have, I believe him and uh range master instructor, Paul Hernandez, I think is going to handle the other half of the, uh, the stages, uh, Dan had said he wanted to do that and be match director, and I told him he was crazy. <laughs> uh, that's just way too much to bite off for anybody. And uh, Brad, I think, told him the exact same thing, and he mm-hmm. he took it to heart. So, and that's the nice thing is i I don't feel like I have to worry about things with Brad, Dan, and just about most all of our <laughs> match directors. Everybody here in Ohio is pretty much on the same page. Uh, it's definitely. I don't feel like I have a it, a bunch of people with egos or anything like that uh, so you know for the most part is drama free between there's no club for the club type thing happening
0: right and it's nice it's nice to honestly have you know the camaraderie and the gentlemanship of you know being able to just deal with things if anything does arise but you don't have to really deal with it because there's nothing arising yeah and i will no, say I
2: mean,
1: we've we've had you know you know, if in the past, uh, uh, I won't say the gentleman's name, but we had a younger shooter probably three or four years ago that was coming on the scene, was coming on the scene pretty quick. And we had, everybody was having a little thing here or there. And I think there were some people that were having some jealousy too of, Hey, who's this new young kid? You know, uh, there was a handful of, uh, match directors, including myself that, at at a match actually sat down with him and and talked and he's turned out to be a fit even better shooter and but has turned out to be a a great ambassador for the sport um he is a younger uh yeah he's an adult i I don't want to say he's a young man or anything like that but he is a younger adult that uh my oldest son kind of looks up to uh, and rightfully so for the way this this kid it adjusted himself. But that was the thing. It was a group of us. It wasn't one person, you know, poking the bear or anything. We all got to together and sat down. So it was been a very united front on how we do things. So including with, uh, that's the nice thing with the battle for the North Coast. Uh, it's hosted up at Crooked Creek. They actually bring a trailer down and we haul a lot of my equipment and stuff up there we borrow stuff from other clubs so that we have the resources to put on a top quality match uh at the at that at their place so again it's all it's everybody chipping in it's a participation sport on all levels
0: yeah well in every video i see i think for the battle of the north coast is the dss uh door <laughs> the dss door yep
1: so yeah, Bud uh, Conley, who is one of the match directors up there at Crooked Creek, actually sent me a stage he wants me to consider for that match. And of course it has the, the DSS door it. So the DSS door uh, did not make an appearance last year. And I don't know if it's gonna make an appearance this year, but I've got a couple of new props that we're, we're looking at. Um, the DSS door, uh, you know, it's funny we've had we don't get a lot of people that dq on that stage which you think you might get for people muzzle in their hands when they open the door we usually get maybe two or three but i don't know what it's been it's it must be something in the the water we have on that stage or whatever it is those people that just get dq'd for that particular infraction uh have just gone off off to crazy land when when that happens Mm -hmm. and we've had we've had video on it and like i had one guy show me video of himself saying that he should be reinstated into the match or given his money back because he didn't dq and then you look at the video and you go what are you talking about the video the video even though we don't look at video the video was showing him doing it and showed both ro's in the position to make the call it's just like uh, it's just crazy. But that one went, and that one went all the way up to Troy. I, um, oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, yeah, that was, and like I say, it was crazy. That was like five or six emails. And that, I'm not talking one sentence. I'm talking like five or six paragraphs each email. And it was, so it was crazy. So the DSS store has door has not made it there mm-hmm. uh, the last two years. However, I had shared Brett Revel, who is the um, official match director up there. Uh, I shared an idea that I'd like to build a set of wooden stairs that go up about four stairs, go across a platform and then down. And I want it to be freestanding so we can move it and use it. But think of it going downrange. But there's a shooting area that's at the front uprange area. And that you actually have to go to the right and shoot diagonally under the stairs, going to the left. And you got to go around to the left, shoot diagonally underneath to the right. And that's the only place that you can shoot that. And then also when you're on top of the stairs, there's only targets that you can shoot from top of the stairs. So you'd have two kind of low crouching areas and one on the top. And then you proceed to go downrange for more shooting area targets. Yeah, you can write that that one down and steal that one from me, Mandy.
0: No, it's got my brain churning about something I saw at the World Pistol shootout a little bit. So yes.
1: Well that okay so that idea was originally given to um we'll talk about this a little bit ahead of time to both uh, uh, the, uh to the strayers to Brandon and Sandy. And uh at one point Sandy was going to build that out of stainless steel me. And then backed off and then we talked about putting uh the pipes or culverts in with the dirt and so i had had originally one idea because we were going to build they were going to build a new bay that didn't end up happening so he buried those and originally i meant to just be a low crouch but if, as you saw at the world pistol shootout when i showed up they had two of them and they were at ground level um, and we had so much fun with that stage okay. I, I it was hysterical so Kyle Smith who was uh, the co director with me we were out putting that stage together and I had Kyle up and down on the ground for probably two hours as we were trying to position the poppers accordingly and I would be down range and he would be down there with making like he had a gun and I'm like how far up to my crotch can you see me? <laughs> so you know, he takes to tell funny stories about how you get to stare at my nuts for you know two hours one day. But we had a we had a fun time putting that together. And it was so it wasn't exactly what I had been looking to do. But then Brandon Strayer, he he really latched on to the idea. And so then he had it in his mind, and his goal for me was he wanted that stage to be for um Christian when he shot it he wanted it to be a two hit factor stage so I did just about everything I could in my power to make that a two hit factor stage and I still think he shot it over three three and a half or something Mm -hmm. but uh we ended up that that stage ended up being really fun uh the problem that we ran into was the pipe was pretty long so I mean you as you had me down so far and we we had those mini poppers. I couldn't put full-size poppers up because we couldn't get to the calibration zone. We couldn't get enough angle up. Mm-hmm. So that's why we used mini poppers. And then Brandon actually wanted it so that you'd have to shoot the popper and then go over and shoot a disappearing target to the far right or far left. It was like, you just couldn't do it. They physically couldn't get up. So the triple steel swinger that we had we put that out there and it was just not moving it was the slowest moving thing you ever saw and we were going to put some more weight in it and ended up not getting that done before the staff shot shot what we found out though with the staff shot a lot of people were having problems getting all three of the steel So they'd have to wait multiple passes. So the fact that it was a slower moving swinger actually worked out to our advantage and made it, maybe it took more time for people if they couldn't shoot it clean. So it ended up because it was slower, it was better for us. Mm -hmm. So we had a couple of just dumb things that happened, you know, that way. Um, Unintended things that really made it a, a fun stage. But I remember on Friday, like, nearly every staff member comes over and says oh man you're gonna have a lot of people bitching about that but when they're saying it they all had this huge grin on their face and that was the way it was over the weekend it's like everybody loved that stage i didn't get anybody that pissed and moaned about that stage at all uh, we had a lot of people that really loved it we had a lot of people that were Uh, You know, that was the signature stage that they had a video of that they put up. Um, It worked out really, really good, you know, for us. I was really happy. And that was one of the things, too, that we were able to demonstrate in that uh, the rule set that we made up, that I made up for it, we had things where we could say a stage was not necessarily freestyle. And so that was one of the things we had in the written stage uh, description that it was you had to engage that popper before you were allowed to engage the swinging target. And that's not something that you see that we can do at a level two, level three match typically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it really, it's still, there was still plenty of freestyle into it. We still saw people shoot it amazing, uh, several different ways. Uh, but, uh, that was a, one of the little wrinkles, the rule set allowed us to do. So, um, I was very happy with that. We, and I think there was, there was a stage before it too, where we had, it was a medium course of fire and we had both steel and paper in it. And we were able to say, you either shoot all the steel or all the paper first, and then you go to the other array. Um, and again, that's not something we can do at a level two match, but it added, it really added to the dynamic of that particular stage too. It forced, and because that was not in a big bay, it forced a lot of lateral movement back and forth. So we were able to create more shooting positions in a smaller shooting area. So uh, it added to the difficulty and the enjoyment of that particular stage as well. So. A couple of things that we did a little bit that was differently at the World Pistol Shootout.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, now I guess I really want to. I need to figure out how did you get hooked up with Brandon and Sandy Strayer? Like, did, did was that from a friend of a friend, or was that just like they just hit you up one day?
1: No, that's from a that's a, from a friend. Um, I have the privilege of having uh, a few of the. Uh, team infinity guys that are pass holders at my range Mm -hmm. as well as, uh, Andrew Heider, when he was on team Infinity, uh, he would come up quite a bit. Uh, we've had some other people as they pass through the area, come and shoot matches. So I've had a chance to meet a lot of them. Um, one of my good friends is, uh, Papa Joe Rick So, and obviously, um, everybody knows he's greatly involved in, uh, the infinity works, uh, Infinity Firearms. And so he put me in touch with Brandon. Uh, Actually, last June, I went out when we were still looking at hopefully doing the Infinity Open at that point. Uh, That actually went out right before everything kind of blew up. Uh, And so I was working uh, three or four days out there and Brandon was pretty impressed with with what I had to do and my work ethic. Uh, Anybody who knows Brandon, Brandon works Ten to twelve hours a day, seven days a week, and that's not a joke. Uh, he's in there Saturdays and Sundays, and we had a race this year to see who could get into the in there earlier. And the only days I got there before him were Saturday and Sunday. But he, I would typically show up—I uh, don't know—six thirty in the morning, and he'd already been there for an hour. You know, he's yeah, he's he's a work all. He does go home at a fairly reasonable time but he works hard and he works nonstop. He's, he's not outside smoking cigarettes or sitting behind a desk. He's building guns probably 95% of his day. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think he, I got his respect uh, in that short period of time. That was kind of like my, my trial basis. And uh, it was really good. I, I, they treated me, they treated me like a Prince. uh, I will tell you that Uh, they gave me a lot of free reign to do a lot of the things, they gave me some parameters and there were some things that Brandon specifically wanted, especially the shootout portion uh, that he wanted. Um, and But he gave me a lot of free reign to do a lot of the other things that we wanted to do. Um, I had a great gentleman, Michael Bathon, who helped with uh, coordinating all of the ROs. Uh, Kyle Smith, uh, obviously, I think you know him as well. He did a fantastic job as the co-match director. He handled uh, you know, all of the uh, uh, sponsors, getting the sponsors, uh, and all the website stuff. So he did that, helped me with some of the practical stuff when I needed that. We had, we had a gentleman that was going to do our stats, and he, he ended up having to back out about three weeks ahead of time. So I was actually doing double duty as match director and stats guy. Uh, which, if there's the number one thing I don't want to do next year, it's that I don't want to do both at the same time. That, that got a little hairy once in a while, uh, mm-hmm. on Friday and Saturday, but uh, so that's how I got so it's through, through Papa Joe primarily is how I got the the, the meat. And uh, but they were like I say, they were fantastic, you know, to me out there,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. And that is awesome. Uh, I've met Papa Joe once, he's a he's a good guy. Uh, I it was I. We did save him from falling down because when I met him, it was at the Livingston Gun Club at uh, a Ryan Rocks Charity Blast, and it was yeah. a little muddy that day. And yeah. we all know Papa Joe doesn't get around the best. And of course, it was going down to the the, the dark house stage where it's a little bit of a sloped incline. Sloped, into, in, yeah, uh, yep. And it was like we we uh, we made sure he didn't go down because that would have been a. If it was raining right there, it's slick too. Yeah, it's I I dislike that bay the most. Gotcha. But yeah, met Papa Joe. He's a good guy. Um, he's a good guy, and it's nice to see how much he actually cares about the shooting sports. I'll leave it at that. But he yep. really, truly does care. Yes. Yep. It, it was yep. good to see him in um, Texas from Brian's live videos. You uh, you could catch Papa Joe in the background.
1: Yep. No, he Joe really tried to you know stay out of the limelight. Uh, he gave. I will tell you, though, he did a good job, especially with Kyle and I, you know, keeping us on track, you know, with, with things. And you know, for me especially, uh, I was doing a lot of work in my offseason uh, you know, for us here, even for my range. I run matches from March, if the weather will let me, until the beginning of November. But then after that, you know, I turned into a pumpkin for a little while. Uh, the last couple of years, I've coached uh, my youngest son's basketball team. And Joe can tell you about all the drama this year because we were working on, you know, I was doing a lot of the stuff for the shootout. And so I was communicating with that with him um, or with Brandon, but a lot of times it was through Joe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he got to hear all the drama uh, that uh, I, that I have from parents and leagues and officials and such. So uh, yeah, it's Youth, ba- youth travel basketball is is a interesting thing
0: no nobody knew that 12 year old basketball would be so hard <laughs> oh
1: uh, it, yeah I mean 12 year old seems like it's gonna be fine it's the nine and ten year olds I can't yeah. I can't even believe you know some of the stuff that goes on especially with uh uh especially with parents and and things so mm-hmm. I I grew up I did. I umpired sorry I refereed soccer for a while I umpired baseball and softball from seventh grade until my mid-20s I think and I would never want to be a basketball referee
2: Mm -hmm.
1: there it's too I, I just wouldn't want to do it um some things that I saw parents do or say just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. But
0: parents you know, are always the worst part of that, right? It's not it's always, not the kids, it's always the parents.
1: Yeah. No, I I you know, I I I love the kids that we have. I love the teams that we have. I love most of the parents that we have. Uh you know, one or two people the you know, kind of ruin it for everybody, but anyways, <laughs> that's a that's a whole other subject. But no, I yeah, it's Papa Joe that got me involved with them um i am i feel very privileged to be associated with them uh i think when i think of infinity uh, i think of uh, uncompromising standards and loyalty i think those are two if i had to look at especially brandon who is becoming more and more the face of infinity firearms I would say those are two things for him that you know two characteristics or two values that probably most describe brandon uh loyalty and uncompromising standards and you see that the uncompromising standards you see that in the products that they put out i mean they're just phenomenally gorgeous products and they st- they'll stand behind everything. And they've st- they stood behind their product long before. For me personally, I'd bought a previous team member's gun and I had problems with it. It went in. He and Casey tore through it once. I sent it back because I still was having some difficulty with it. And they redid the whole top end. The whole top end.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sent it back to me. No charge. Wow. I mean you know what those good those guns go for you know so yeah. th- that just is a uh, you know you know flabbergast you know me and you know i'm kind of the person manny that i i believe in the golden rule um and this is not a religions thing it's it's actually something that even my fraternity you know believe you know, treat others as you want them to treat you it's just mm-hmm. kind of a mantra right and the other thing about it is have other people treat you the way you, you know, you treat them, you know, or how you'd expect to be treated, you know, that, that kind of thing. And I really feel that that is what they, how they did it for me. I never once had to ask for anything. I stayed at Sandy Strayer's house.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I went, I was invited to Brandon's house for dinner. You know, I never went for any, I didn't pay The only time I took money out of my pocket and the two trips that I went was when I was at the airport and I was buying something at the convenience store. You know, my expenses were taken care of, taken care of. Uh, And then they didn't give me a hard time about anything when I wanted to take care of my staff. So when we had goods and stuff that came in for the sponsors, because we were doing a cash match, several of the goods would go to the staff for our staff dinner and for the drawings and things that we would do for them. Mm -hmm. It was never had to negotiate with them about any of that stuff. Um, And I thought that was great. Uh, Brandon, because he is a uncompromising in his standards. I think that if you don't view him from that perspective, I can see that some people have said, well, he's hard to deal with or whatever. And
2: we've,
1: I've heard that from people. I was warned about that. I didn't, I knew that kind of go, I figured that out very quickly. And one of the things, especially this trip, I was very proud to stand next to him at any point in time because we had figured out a way to communicate because we were mostly trying to say always, we're trying to get to the same point. And it was just different perspectives on how to get there. And that was actually an interesting thing that I, I come across in my experience in setting up major matches or even local matches is a lot of people take the club perspective. That's the majority of what it is. Majority of what we have are shooting clubs around, around the nation versus owner operated clubs like myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I have a different perspective from that, pers- you know, just from that point of view of a range owner running matches versus a club running matches. Well, now I have a third perspective, which is this gun manufacturer that has a phenomenal range has better ranges than most clubs out there have, but they have a completely different perspective that they're looking at it from than what the club and the owner operator place does. And so it took me, it took me, not Brandon or anybody else, and I say Brandon because not that i don't do stuff with sandy i just that's who we're clicking the ideas off sandy is sandy's sandy's phenomenal just sit in the room and listen to him talk sometime he is he's probably forgotten more about building guns in the sport than you and i ever have ever known like he's just an incredible resource And I, and I feel like, honestly, when I'm in a room with him, like, I don't even know the right, right words to ask a question everybody else asks. And again, it's kind of like that Rob Leatham thing story for me. I just sit there and listen, you know, when, when Mm -hmm. Sandy talks. Uh, But so with Brandon, uh, you know, I figured out how I needed to approach him and how we could communicate. And it just turned into a lot of fun, to be honest with you, Manny. Like I was having a blast. And if you watch some of the, uh, some of the shootout stuff, they were trying to tell me at one point for the, on Sunday for the open, like I was so, I was so uh, focused on like from that kind of USPSA mentality of, you know, it's by the book. If you don't have X number of shooters in a, uh, in a particular category or, you know, class, you know, Mm -hmm. then, you don't recognize that category. It was escaping me that we had one senior, super senior shooter that actually outshot all but one of the senior shooters. So we we were having a super senior shootout, but obviously that gentleman also kind of qualifies, you know, to a certain degree as senior. So we should put him in there. And like, they're all trying to tell me this and whatever language they were speaking it just wasn't hitting me in the ears and and i kind of had a laugh at it when when it happened and and i said something to brandon about it and he just picked up a beer and handed me a beer afterwards i said dude i'm sorry man it's it just wasn't clicking with me and he just kind of handed me the beer and was just like i get it you know it's like we had had those kind of little moments of trying to get to the same place at times but not just coming at it from different directions. And we'd always get, and that's the great thing was we always got there. Um and it wasn't a lot of a lot of things. It's just little things. Because again, he would give me free reign on things. But you know, he was very specific and things that he wanted for the shootout. And when he would he knew that we'd be on the same page. And so it was just about him getting that communication to me. Because you know he's so busy. He's not sitting in front of a computer typing it out where me not having anything to do other than 10 year old basketball, I have plenty of time to type all this stuff out and send it to him. So it could be more over, overwhelming to him. Uh, but I I've, I've learned to, uh, I don't learned I, I cherished that, uh, that event. I will tell you that I was, uh, As much as you want to say it's relief at the end of a big major, because you know how that is, you know, on Sunday, you know, you're glad that it's done. Uh, Monday, I was uh, nice to come home and see my family. But by Tuesday, I already missed being in Texas. That was where I was. Because it was warmer, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't. Uh, Oh, my goodness. We showed up. What was it Saturday morning? And we had to rehang partly because of the wind, partly because they didn't make sense. We had to rehang all of the directional signs for parking. And we're talking this is 5:30 in the morning. It's windy as all get out, and it's about 20 some degrees. And I had no gloves. In Texas. In Texas. <laughs> uh and granted i was pulling i was down to almost a t-shirt by the middle of the afternoon so uh one of the things we already have had to talk about is even if we waited two more weeks next year for that this event it would be
0: it would be well
2: worth it Mm -hmm.
0: so yeah and texas can be unpredictable (laughs) But so something I really enjoyed about even just watching from a distance was the match, the, the world pistol shootout match. Everyone was posting videos. It was great. Um, You guys definitely have a unique rule set and it was very intriguing to see that the stages were different from Saturday to Sunday because they were truly two different matches.
1: That was, uh, that was kind of an ingenious thing that we kind of stumbled on as far as it being different matches. And again, uh one of my best friends uh leland if you're watching this uh we call him uh leland range lawyer Esquire. Uh, <laughs> he loves to argue and he is uh unfortunately dq'd out of several uh, major matches and he has argued them very professionally to get reinstated but uh i love him to death he's my best friend anyways we uh It was one of these things that we kind of stumbled on because originally we were going to do AM performance carry, PM open, and then in the next day do both uh, smaller amounts in the morning and then do both shootouts in in the afternoon. And we switched it to this and we were making them both their own match. And as we started to look into this, it, it just kind of clicked one day how beautiful this was. And even back when we were looking at Infinity Open and we were working with USPSA, um, uh, I give kudos to Jake Martins. Uh, you know, he actually mentioned you need to make sure that it's different from one match to the other. Troy was saying the same thing. If you want to be different matches, they need to be actually different. Uh, and so we were looking at shooting positions being different, uh, which we didn't do the shooting positions. What ended up actually happening, and I actually created a little bit of a monster on this, but nonetheless, let me. before I get into that, yes, different matches. It made it really easy. So there were actually a few little things that we saw in the staff match that weren't working or were a little bit of something that was kind of tying us up so there was actually a couple of small changes that were made from the staff match to the performance carry match that we had um and then you know we just had so many shooters that were going to shoot both the performance carry and the open division or uh, sorry unlimited division that we felt we wanted to make some changes so at the staff dinner on Saturday night, instead of me saying, hey, this is what we want to change. I left it up to the uh, range officers on their stages to make a few changes. And what I wanted them to do was if we had three no shoots that were out there, I still want there to be three no shoots that are be out there, but let's change them around. OK, um, I didn't say it in that manner. Mm-hmm. Some people did better than others is how they rearranged them the next day. So there were a couple stages that were uh, even higher difficulty than what I would have put out on Sunday than what was out there on Saturday. So that's actually a learning lesson for me. It's like I need to be a little bit more specific in that or have a better plan. And I actually had um, a couple of sponsored shooters uh, that came to me, not, not sponsored shooters. I, I, had a, I had a, well, I, I had some respectable people that came to me These because they're this wasn't uh super squad guys. Super squad guys didn't say boo to me about stages, other than they they enjoyed them. Mm -hmm. I had not one negative word came out of the super squad at all to me. Um but I had another, I had some other shooters in a squad that came to me and they said they could everything was very challenging both days, but they said on Saturday. They could tell that it was done by a stage designer or match director that had some purpose in mind, had a plan in mind. They felt that the swing we made with the changes with no shoots and stuff, it was a little bit haphazard on Sunday. And I think that they were probably right in some of that. A lot of the direction they went with, I would say there was only probably two or three stages that we had that probably was a little over the top, over the top. But again, like you said, the top shooters they weren't complaining about it. they were just going out and competing. But for the average shooter that was there, it was probably a little bit higher of a skill test than what we needed to put out necessarily I don't know if that makes sense
0: or not. It does, but like I do remember the one stage, I think it has two barrels in the middle um um on sat on Sunday, it was just like it was no shoot, free sale. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. No, there there were
0: there were a couple,
1: like I said. I I get it. Um you know, we had a couple we had one st- stage number 1 was a very mentally challenging stage. And so um it, it, you could shoot it about 15 16 different ways. Uh and it was one of these ones that we I gave the shooter their choice of where they started in, in the shooting area.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh we saw a lot of variations in that one.
2: Yeah, that would be
1: that was one that they moved some of the no shoots around, and didn't actually put more up. But probably the positions they put it up that they moved them to took the challenge to the nth degree on it necessarily. But then you had that one that you you mentioned, and there was one other that I saw. But there was actually um, one of the stages. Stage number five. It happened to be Caleb Smith, who is a Team Infinity shooter, who's having some uh, uh, elbow surgery, so he didn't shoot the match. He just came. He he's a friend of mine. He flew out from Ohio just to work the match. Uh, and he and uh, Anthony Zabonik, who are doing that match, they did a phenomenal job actually of how they changed up their stage as far just as far as target present, presentation goes. None of the targets got moved from Saturday to Sunday. It was just what kind of paper got put up. Uh, And they did a phenomenally good uh, job with that. Uh, We actually, that was one where we had a number of the uh, super squad came to me. I'd say probably three or four of them did. And they really enjoyed that stage. They enjoyed the options that stage had. Uh, And they said it was a complete, even both days, similar challenge. But completely different stages. And like I say, all we did was move where targets or no shoots were. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so Caleb and Anthony did a phenomenal job that day. But that would be one of the takeaways that I would have from the match that we would do, you know, a little bit differently. And, you know, the, the thing to think about uh, is it's a first year match, it's a first year major. Uh, had they been running the Inf- Infinity Open, yes, uh, but they weren't running it you know, that was eight years ago. So it's all new. It's mostly new blood. Now the range master that we had was working that match eight years ago, Lee. Um, but it was, it was brand, you know, everything else was practically brand new as was the format with moving into the, the shootout, you know, side of everything, Mm -hmm. new rule set. Um, you know, that was, uh, that was a fun thing to do. Uh, that was another reason that Joe reached out to me initially for it, because they knew they wanted to do their own rule set, uh, even last year for the Infinity Open. You know, they had been looking at doing a new rule set, or do you do USPSA? What do you do? Like that had been a conversation, and that was part of the reason that I was drawn into it. Uh, Joe knew from my day as the batch director for the multi state championship. One of the things that I was frustrated with was there was no good organizing structure behind it or group behind it. I mean, arguably USPSA is the practical shooting organization in the United States. We have IDPA, we have other things, but They're the largest. They're the most well organized. With multi gun, when I was the uh, back in 2019 when we did it, you still had a little bit of three gun nation was still hanging on. Uh, UML was coming up. Okay, you still had USPSA's uh, rule book not widely accepted. You had a ton of outlaw stuff that was going on. Indiana, right next door to me, they've got their home. They've got their own rule set. And they've got like, I think, 10 or 12 different clubs that run that rule set uh, that they've built. Um, Rock Castle had it has its own set of rules. Uh, now, obviously, Rock Castle is not around anymore, but they're really well known. So you didn't have a good, strong organizing body and. Yeah. I originally was looking at those groups and said, you know, this one really does this thing really well. This group does that really well. And so I started putting together a set of rules. So when Joe and Brandon, you know, came and said, hey, we want you to write a rule set for it. Well, I immediately dusted that off and started looking at that. Pour that all apart, but then I started going to all the different rule sets and like, what is it that they, you know, do really well? Mm -hmm. Um, We had uh, reached out to Max uh, through Joe uh, and said, "Hey, we were looking at a lot of your rule set and such," and he's like, "Hey, do what you want." You know, that was a fun thing for me. I I'd met Max once or twice before, but never really had a chance to talk to him. So at the at the shootout, it was really nice to be able to come to him and say, "Hey, listen, there's some stuff that you wrote, and I think you probably can see I plagiarized the crap out of it is what I told him. Uh, uh, but the set of the, uh, the in our rule book, there is a portion that's in there that is uh, about the using video uh, to challenge a challenge a call, and that's right out max of Max's stuff.
0: And that's only to benefit the shooter, correct? Or is that, or can that go either way? No, we
1: wrote it so that if uh, a call is made against a shooter, basically the, the spirit of the rule—I don't know it right off the top of my
2: head—spirit
1: mm-hmm. of spirit of the rule is that it, you can use video to challenge a ruling by an RO or CRO range master. It's only to challenge that ruling okay Mm -hmm. you can't benefit it in other areas and it can't hurt you in any other areas okay Mm -hmm. it can only challenge a call that was made necessarily so if somebody had a foot fault and they weren't called for a foot fault but they were being called for uh shooting too many shots in a virginia count stage let's say okay Mm um if they they can only they can only go and challenge the extra shot that was called in the Virgin for the Virginia count. If it shows that there was a foot he can't be charged. He or she can't be charged for that. So only the call that's being challenged. Um, and I believe I that's one of the things on my to do list is to go back and look at the rule because we also want to make it so it's just the shooter in question that can use the video evidence we don't want people running around videotaping all their competitors and then they do something wrong. They run up to the range master and say, Oh, look, Johnny did this. You know, Uh, we don't, we don't want to create that environment either, you know, but we do, we know that everybody's human being and range officers are going to make mistakes, but when the potential for some of those mistakes are a disqualification or B. Could impact a monetary situation, which is what some of the World Pistol Shootout is about. Is about you know winning some big bucks. Mm-hmm. Then you know we need to put in some fail safes for that. I think, and I think that's where some of the video editing, uh, video uh, evidence can come into play.
0: Right, and I agree. And I I did look up the rules. Uh, it's in four point five for appeals. There you go. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely. I could definitely see the point of, you know, it being the shooter bringing it to you not a we'll say called by, you know, another shooter or bystander bringing you a video cuz then that that would take too long. Like my only I talked to Brian literally the day after uh, the shootout. Uh, I think it was Sunday. And it's like it took 5 to 10 minutes for that video evidence to to be discussed and co- you know, co- you know, collected. And it's like that's a long time to be going get nice cold at that point when you you're you're ready to go and get yeah. some money.
1: Well, you know, and that is one of the things, too, was I think that we have to put together. Brian Conley was a godsend. The fact that he was there videotaping all of that in the moment was priceless, absolutely priceless. I said it to him. I, I think I said it in a little video clip I had on Facebook. Uh, I've had several people that have gone back and rewatched all the shootout that he was recording, but it really gave us an opportunity to explain exactly what was happening. Nobody, you know, got to play Monday morning quarterback on us because they were getting our explanation, whether they agreed with us or not. And and again, you know how opinions are and everything. And there's more than one way to do a a shootoff like we actually had. Uh, a number of the Italians that were there at shooting the match say how they do things differently. If you knock the stop plate at the end uh, uh, over and you still left something standing, re- you are you lost right there. You know, they didn't do it the same way that we did it, you know, and, and which is fine. You know, we made our rules. We set our rules for uh, determining a rule uh, winner right up front. Everybody was on the same page. Uh, we had no competitor that gave us a problem on, on that. Um, but, you know, it was priceless, you know, so when we had a problem the first day with a popper uh, and we got to explain what was going on and it was, you know, Christian, you know, that was right on tape. It's like, hey, this is what our rule is. This is what we're going to go out and do. And, you know, it was right there, whether you agreed with it or not, you know, we said this is what was going to happen. And. Uh, you know that that's why I say it was absolutely priceless but you had mentioned about the video stuff uh, uh, yeah that did take too long and so we need to figure out a little bit better on how to do that uh, in looking part of the problem was we're having problems pulling up the video on the video camera so that we could see it but when you looked from two different angles it looked like two different things were happening okay right and the gentleman who made the call and the footfall also was wavering. He couldn't tell me one way or the other. And so that was why I said that there was a, a reshoot was needed. Then at that point when the RO was lacking in hundred percent confidence then, and the video evidence wasn't conclusive, then no, we're going to go that that way. The biggest thing that I could say is that when I brought that to them, I, you know, I said, you know, the easiest way to do this is to just reshoot it. Um, uh, T, I think is her name.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She was the first one to say, yes, let's reshoot. And she ultimately was the one that lost. And so not that I didn't go over and want to congratulate the victor. My first thing was to walk over to T when we were done and tell her how classy she was, because I thought that was a very classy thing to do which was to leave it up there, you know, on the, the, you know, you know, leave it on the stage, um, you know, and that was the same thing the day before when we were with the popper and uh, ended up being the final four, you know, he, Brian Connolly was right there up in the mix. When I said, uh, when I got the four of them together and I said, my understanding from you guys is you guys want to wear your big boy pants. And if there's a problem with the popper, we're not even going to worry about it. We're just going to reshoot. And I got all four of them to say on camera in with Brian Conley, that yes, that's what we're going to do. So we changed the way we're going to do things, but all four competitors agreed. So while it was maybe different in the future, it was still on videotape that that was going to happen. So little things like that or big things like that, Brian was capturing and from a match director's point of view and maintaining, uh, you know, equitable, uh, standards for everybody that was that was again it was priceless so
0: yes absolutely and it is nice to see you know to have the video so then this is there's no he said she said either it's this this is what happened right here on someone's phone and on the internet now with the popper did did the popper actually have to still be adjusted or yeah we still adjusted
1: the popper afterwards yes so i you know i was watching him shoot it and the popper had loosened up and was was angled forward. He hit it three or four times. I don't even remember how many. He hit it dead in the calibration zone. It was not co- even coming up to not, you know, 90 degrees. There was no way that that thing was going over. And I know that Christian was panicked. Uh, he and I talked about it a couple of times afterwards. Uh, there was no way that thing was going over when I went over the calibration. I knew it and i know he was fretting it but it was not going over uh so we, yeah we did have to go and fix that actually all of the pop most all of the poppers that were on that stage were brand new poppers that we had just put out for the first time yeah. so we actually had mr fix it i had him or fix it guy uh, he went out and i had him go through every single popper sunday morning he spent like Two and a half hours going through all the poppers for me, putting in new hardware and again on everything, just so, so that we didn't have any problem. But you know, you know, it's setting up stages, there's no such thing as a perfectly flat piece of land. And no matter what you try to do to make it, I mean, literally, if I had it, there was a few MGM mm-hmm. poppers I had. If it was the first one in the line of white, then it was going to be another MG one, MGM one in the first line of the, the white poppers on the other side. You know, we I wasn't going to have, you know, any of that if I could, but it still was never going to be 100 percent identical. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's where Lane Choice came in. Uh, uh, Bill was saying something to me and i've known bill for several years he said if you look at this one and i was walk, walking it with him and christian and they were both you know pointing out little things here and there and i was just like you're talking that you have one more inch on the second popper on the white on the left hand side bill he's like yeah he goes it's not really a big thing but yeah you got this and i'm like okay it's not really a big thing so i love Bill building that um
2: mm-hmm.
1: i uh Probably I, I could tell a few stories for a few hours with Bill, and he's <laughs> a great man. Uh, I'm glad to have him over in Pittsburgh now. He and I are conspiring on uh, a few fun ideas to uh, try to liven up the USPSA matches that we have. So we're looking at a border war type thing and a series event, So, but he's a good guy. But uh, the, the shootout ended up being a lot of fun. Uh, Brandon's wanting to make that into a bigger thing, especially Saturday, Saturday morning, we had our, uh, uh, match briefing there and mm-hmm. at six thirty in the morning, he had lights going, he had music pumping. It just had a vibe to it, you know, uh, really did. And, uh, it's funny too, if you, since you do, you know, major matches Sunday is always that day that we're kind of thankful for. You know, you see people start to check out and just think about getting home. You know what I mean, if it's been a long week. And we definitely had some of that, not as much as I normally see, and it's because of the shootout, but the shootout on Saturday night was, there was more of a vibe to it. There was also more people in the performance carry division than there were in the open. And that gives me one chance here. I had a couple of things that I saw that came Mm -hmm. through social media, Manny. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't from shooters at the match. It was from people that weren't attending the match. And somebody made a poke, and I don't remember who, about there being $5,000 or whatever number they threw out on Saturday, but only $4,000 on Sunday.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: The money was allocated by attendance and we had more shooters that wanted to come shoot performance carry Mm -hmm. than wanted to come and shoot open so that's why there was more money on saturday than there was on sunday
0: kind of surprising now was there anyone figure out a reason why more people wanted to shoot saturday than sunday
1: uh i think that that would be some good polling information i didn't really ask so anything i would do is just speculation at that at that Mm -hmm. point but it was an easier division to come in and shoot from a gun financial platform we still had plenty of people well we you know we called it performance carry and you had the people that could shoot their 2011 with a slide mounted optic Mm -hmm. for the most part it was carry optics guys that came and shot their carry optics gun we definitely had a number of people that were shooting a 2011 gun, especially in the uh, super squad, but it was mostly carry optics guns that I saw that that were there, or carry optics guns that they slapped the magwell on, you know, things like that. Um, and I think that just speaks to what we already know is happening in the sport. Carry optics is, you know, it's the division right now uh, at USPSA. Uh, it's got it's the only division that has its own national championship mm-hmm. so you know we definitely see that i again because i mentioned before i track all the numbers for our section and for uh the southern ohio section uh you know Kerry is just kicking ass uh, you know in, in our state so i think that's probably the the, the biggest reason
0: mm-hmm. yeah and It'll be nice to see how carry optics or performance carry changes in the next coming years, you know, to see what people want to really shoot and what's drawing them. Is it going to be that 2011 um, slide ride gun they want to shoot, or are they still going to just shoot a currently legal carry optics gun with with a Magwell or? Well,
1: here is something that I think is getting lost in the debate um, Mm -hmm. about you know, now it's limited optics and USPSA. And I don't want to get into all of that mm-hmm. as far as, you know, do we, you know, do this or do that major minor. Here's the thing that I've seen in the last two, three years, Manny, literally almost at one point, almost every week, somebody was showing up on Wednesday nights at my place as a new shooter with a staccato, with a slide mounted uh, optic. mm mm-hmm so at that particular time our divisions were very similar to uspsas and so i had a you'd bump them to open right you know they right. we would see the same guy show up in a uspsa match and now all of a sudden they're they're shooting open guess what they were they they were pissed off and they didn't come back the next match because they knew that they were at a disadvantage but that's what we're seeing all of these tactical defensive guys we're seeing a lot of them. That's the type, or even three gun guys, you know, that shoot those twenty eleven slide mm-hmm. mounted optics. You know, instead of a full open gun necessarily,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they'll shoot that as they in the open division. So I think that's the biggest upside that we have in USPSA and similar events is to open the, open the door to these people. These are people that have already invested into competition level gear and if they now have another place to come to compete well that's just great for the sport that's great for the organizations that's great for the clubs it's great for the range owners, and it's great for them you know so I like it I can tell you that uh, there's a kid I call him a kid but he's a police officer Um, he's a younger man Uh, he just won our USPSA events yesterday but he was one of those guys two years ago You know, he's showing up at a USPSA event with his 2011 with a slide. He used a staccato with a leg strap. Got to tell him he's got to take the leg strap off and then he getting bumped open. Fortunately, he's shooting with eight of his buddies. They're all in a similar boat. They all moan about it, but they have a good time because they're shooting with their buddies. comes back to our previous conversation on that, right? Um, This weekend... Nearly every one of those guys were still shooting a year and a half later. They were all in their own squad. And this young man won the event yesterday, shooting carry optics.
2: Mm -hmm. Beat
1: several of us, including myself, that were shooting an open major gun. So, and he's shooting carry optics minor. So, you know, it's just like, if we could have made it easier for him to get into the sport, and others i mean there's there's still a couple people out of his group that don't come back haven't come back since
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know but if we can make it easier for people to get into the sport i think we have to be careful of not trying to be everything to everybody and so that's the balance that we're going to have to figure out Um, we've seen that in multi-gun sports Uh, i think that there have been some some I think that the there's been some organizations in the three gun sports that they tried to be everything for everybody. And the problem that does is it makes it, at some point it makes the divisions less competitive because there's less competitors competing in, in each division because there's so many of them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we're, we're seeing that to some degree in certain
0: organizations, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, so I have a few more questions I want to get to before our time is over today. Okay. One of those happens to be is if there can be any rule other than, um, the video rule that would you like to change for the next match? What would it be?
2: Ooh.
1: I don't say that I have anything that's overly glaring. Um, uh, I mean, I have a list of everything I've, you know, we can improve on every front and that's just about every major that's out there.
0: Oh, absolutely. I don't know if
1: there's a rule. I I know that one of the things that we talked about and it's in there, uh, uh, you know, for the make ready, keeping it at 30 seconds. uh, We didn't have to enforce that rule ever. Like that was, that was not a thing. The only problem we had, the only thing I the major thing that I think that we need to do because I think both Brandon, myself and others, we'd like to see more people involved in the shootout, like a larger number of people get to participate in that. But the biggest thing we have to do is we have to create some kind of a rule or structure that keeps the event moving quicker and less time between actual runs in the shootout. Right. Like, I think that's probably one of the bigger things that we need to address uh especially if we want to go you know that you know that church and i, I don't want to give i don't want to put the i don't want to put too many ideas out there but we're looking at things to get more people involved in, in, in the shootout side of, of everything and not just the top eight necessarily you know right uh so we're, we're looking at some things like that and actually infinity's looking at sinking some money into some solutions to that let's say so um, i don't know if I, thing. I don't know if i answered the question no, let me it, ask you let me ask you a question okay. is there any specific rules that people presented to you or others uh, that they thought were a little far-fetched or needed some tweaking
0: no, i didn't get anything on that i was just curious you know because you wrote the rule set so there's always got to be that one thing it's like if I could do this over for that match, I would have done this, but no, I didn't hear any complaints. Um... I, you know, I, i'm gonna
1: I'm gonna say that we're, you know, kind of looking at seeing what goes on in the rest of the world. Um, you know, right now we have it as slide stop thumb rests and no frame mounted thumb rests. Mm-hmm. That's something I I've got earmarked, you know, on an equipment side to look at. Uh, you know, do we do we allow those or not? You know, we came we took the perspective when we were building this was this was a carry out we were improving upon or expanding the carry optics division so that's why we went with just a slide stop mounted thumb rest and not a frame mounted thumb rest Mm -hmm. and trust me there were many guys that that ood and odd about that to me in the (laughs) last in the last week running up to the event because they hadn't read the rules closely enough so there was definitely some guys that were heating up some frames to get loosen up the Loctite to take off the
0: frame out of the tub So yeah, and I guess one thing I was like always baffled. I guess not baffled is not the right word, but surprised by was that even in unlimited division, you could still only have a magazine length of one forty one point two
1: five. Yes, so uh, that was something that branded Brandon presented. Mm-hmm. Uh to me. And I actually appreciated it in that it's he felt it was something that raised the degree of difficulty necessarily in forcing a reload at times when somebody could just big stick it. And being that my and this is something I didn't share earlier, my thing uh, starting out was uh, I was a production shooter for years. Uh, mm-hmm. And it wasn't actually until I took over ownership of the range that I really looked into doing anything differently because I thoroughly enjoyed the challenge of trying to figure out what my reloads were. And if you actually look at the way I design stages, I take that kind of perspective of how can I make it challenging for the production shooter? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why I think you see that a lot of times I'll have five, six, seven different positions that you have to shoot from. And so it gets the production shooter really thinking about where you do your reload. And I think that's, that's the fun thing to do to an open shooter or an unlimited shooter is that you now have to make them think about where am I going to do my reload? You know, cause you know, I like, I like the mental challenge side of things. So when Brandon presented that,
0: I was like, hell yeah,
1: let's, let's, let's do that. So it was interesting too. And I think we, probably have to look at how we did this so we'd have to tell the shooters you have to bring your magazines to us as well and i can't even tell you how many people had illegal magazines that was we were we were pounding some on the table to get them into the
0: uh into the gauge this is where you have just a box of next to the mag gauge was infinity base pad be like there's a hundred bucks
1: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, you know, uh, uh, Taryn Butler's probably going to send me some hate mail, you know. I, yeah, you know, they, but again, I like, I've shot against Taryn a few times. Uh, I like him. Uh, you know, he, uh, but you know, they've, there's been a known issue in the past with some of those, and open shooters didn't necessarily worry about it,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: you know, there was what you had a year or so of a lot of guys from carry optics who were getting bumped to open because their Terran tactical base pad didn't fit the gauge, you know? And so they came out and I think they made an adjustment, but they made statements and everything else. So it's not any new news, but it's new news to open shooters that now have to use a 140 bag. They didn't care about it before. So, but everybody took that pretty good in stride. It was just a, it was just a, a, a point, And it was funny because I came back with a bunch of new Infinity mags that had been used in the the match. And we had been using this little orange triangle decal that we were putting on them to signify that they were good for the match. And I was thinking to myself afterwards, how easy is it going to be to take one of these off and just put them on another mag? Surprisingly, they were more difficult to take off, and they wouldn't restick to anything. I figured that out after. That was after I got home to Texas mm-hmm. from Texas, so it ended up again working out. But uh, you know, it was an interesting proposition that was made. Uh, other than the case gauging and that process, uh, we really didn't have anybody say anything to us about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just part of the rule set. It's part of the game. Anyone who wants to play the game is going to follow the rules. Yeah. Until, and they're not gonna knowingly, for the most part, they're not gonna knowingly disobey the rule. They don't know what they don't know. That they're yeah. They don't care yeah. about their mag like like I, most open shooters don't care that their one forty mag isn't one forty because it doesn't matter in true open division yeah. U.S. PSA rules. It could be as long as it's less than one seventy one, you're golden.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's what we ran into, I think, you know, with a, a few people. But most people it's just the process of uh getting the uh the mags and you know we heard that from people and again we're doing something different that other people haven't done so it's the first time so we knew that we were going to have I don't want to say issues but we knew that it was going to be something that was going to be brought up uh you know there are definitely things that it's a huge range I don't know if you've ever been out there Manny or if you got a perspective of it Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: it's a big range and so one of the things that we did was we started every. If you think about how we move squads, we started in the middle and moved outwards. So then, when you got to the outside, you didn't have to go from one end of the range to the other. You only had to come back to the middle to go back out again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we communicated that it was in the squad matrix. We still had people that didn't, I mean, we had people that didn't read the rules. We had people that didn't look at the squad or didn't even look at the, uh, you know, matchbook, nothing new. Mm -hmm. You've run a level two match before that still happens at other level two matches. So Mm -hmm. we ran into that, you know, and and there's different things that we can do for match management that will help with that. Uh, We didn't Mm -hmm. think that transportation from one point A to point B was going to be that big of a deal. It was a big, it was a bigger deal than we thought, you know, Well, you know, there's little things like that just you you live and learn on. But the number of people that not even number, the percentage of people that came up to myself, Brandon, Sandy, Kyle, that thanked us, told us they would be back next year was overwhelming, like for the whole week afterwards. I nearly, nearly every member of the staff sent me an email thanking me for allowing them to be there. That's unheard of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's just absolutely unheard of. And so, uh, you know, felt again that felt very blessed by that. Uh, you know, we had a lot of people that really helped out uh, uh, in just about all of the team Infinity people that could be there were there at some point early to, you know, help out. I had Anthony Bruno at, at six o'clock in the morning on the day that he's going to shoot standing in the 25, 30 degree weather in the parking lot, help help him park people. You know, I mean, that was just the mentality that people took. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's again, I would say that that is something that branded inspires. It's the loyalty side of everything. Like there's no question about it. Um, uh, The Giardinos were awesome. Uh, You know they they busted hump all week. Yeah, we just we had we just had incredible people that were there.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that's awesome, and it's really nice to see that people love the match. They want to come back. Staff want to. Thank you for letting them be involved. Do you have a date for next year yet?
1: Working on it. We may be working on other things too. So we've got a a lot of, there's a lot of options. I actually, I owe Brandon a phone call right now uh, to talk about some of those options and where we're at with everything. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Need to find the right balance with my own business and family to some degree. Because uh, it's a big commitment to get out there, you know, for that bit of time. But it's something that I want to be a part of. Uh, as I said uh, the earlier, the mission statement for DSS, which is myself, was to grow the practical shooting sports in our region. And I feel that we've done a lot to accomplish that. So getting involved in the World Pistol Shootout and working with Brandon, Sandy, For at affinity to that end is taking my mission statement and growing it into a new direction that I feel like we're ready, I'm ready to be at. It's just finding that right balance. So, uh, but there's been a lot of great ideas that have been thrown out on how to uh, improve on this match, how to change it to make it uh, more inclusive get more people involved, get more sponsors, more manufacturers involved too. Uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Staccato and other manufacturers a little bit more involved into this uh, as far as, you know, maybe adding a team event. I don't know, you know, or an aspect of that to it. I think there's some stuff that we can do with that. Um, I know that Sandy Strayer has got some ideas that he's already starting to throw out on, how to be able to uh, do some things at the facility to expand it uh, again I don't want to put out any specifics until they those things kind of break ground because I don't want to make promises that I I can't keep but what I'm encouraged by is all of the progressive forward thinking that people are putting towards this match so uh, and not just and that's not even just the people that are involved we have we've got some of the top shooters that have come back to us and they're giving us their feedback and wanting to see it grow and expand. So that's even encouraging, you know? Um, but, and that, and that was one of the biggest takeaways that I have. When you get, when you get people from the super squad that are giving you that feedback and aren't belly aching about this, that, or the other, and aren't, you know, trying to drive the rule book to their advantage. Like we see sometimes it was just a fun time to be around those guys really enjoyed watching them you know shoot and participating with them it was a
0: thrill Mm -hmm. that is a blast and it's nice to hear about all those things um when i lost do i lose my last train of thought no i don't because i'm going to keep rolling (laughs) uh, (laughs) um it was honestly this has honestly been a fantastic conversation between you and i um it's nice to get you know get to know more about you i've heard about you throughout the you know our area and it's nice to get to chat with you after this match and all the feedback you've gotten and the ways you're going to progress it, you know, going forward as well. Um, where, if, if they want to get in touch with you about either this match or anything or DSS, where can they get a hold of you, Scott?
1: So best way, two ways that you can do that. Uh, my website is dynamicshootingsports.us. There is a contact form that's in there. You can go into the contact form anytime you want, fill it out and send it to me. Uh, I will give people my email address, which is Scott at dynamic shootingsports.us. Again, scott at dynamic us, uh, send me an email. I am a one man crew. I'm going to tell everybody that up front. So I, you know, sometimes it may take me a little while to get, get to back to everybody, uh, with two boys that play travel bas- baseball right now and three matches in five days. Uh, I didn't sit down in front of my computer quite a, that much. So I do have some periods of time that it takes me to get back to others, but, uh, that's probably the best way to, to, To get to me
0: well there you go everyone if you need to get a hold of scott hit him up there and scott thank you again it's been a blast and uh, we'll have to do this again at some point
1: sounds like sounds like a plan
0: awesome and to the listeners until next time get out and do things and i will see you on the next one